Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right. Don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple podcast as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. This is Cesar Pliqueta. This is William. This is Ali Riley. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Dan, Mike, Nick, and myself cover all of Chelsea's latest matches, team news, and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you for being an awesome listener, and with no further delay, let's jump right in. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to part who of this week's London is Blue podcast. That's right. If you missed part one, definitely go back to your podcast app and check it out. Uh, we had Jeff Borzello from ESPN, college hoops expert, uh, talking about, well, all things Che Wool, if you know what I mean. Uh, this episode, on the other hand, is all about your social media questions. That's right. Everything we talk about is coming directly from you, our audience, and we love it. So if you want to get involved in that, definitely head over to Patreon, uh, subscribe, and you can submit your questions there or on Discord. Otherwise, you can roll your dice, take a chance, maybe a little bit of luck in there if you want to uh, try to get it in via social. But the amount of questions we get these days, it is quite difficult that way. So joining me, as always, are Nick and Dan. Uh, but the part two star of the show, as you all know him and love him, Mike. Special guest appearance from Mike. <laughs> uh, you know, Mike, I, I heard that you were missing the past couple of weeks because you are actually now working on the sequel to Green Book. Oh, mm. yeah, that, that too. Amongst many things. 
you know, changing oh, okay. al- good, good to know. club allegiances and, and, and all of the above. So, yes, it's all true. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Um, well, Dan, I would like you to give us a quick plug for the Football Blogging Awards as we have now officially thrown our name into the nomination hat. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we have uh, tried this once before and we're not successful. But, you know, we've we've grown over the past couple of years and we appreciate the wonderful London's Blue community, the Chelsea community that's adopted us as a, as a part of it. And we are in the running and trying to get to a finalist standpoint for the hashtag best international content creator category. And we are also trying to push our friends at the Chelsea Fancast to the be the, a finalist for the hashtag best podcast piece. So if you go to our Twitter profile, if you go to Instagram, uh, we've put it in our stories, we've pinned a tweet, but basically it's super easy to enter. You also can go to uh, footballbloggingawards.co.uk and enter there, but we would really appreciate your support. And Mike, it's a, a great way to get a little extra uh, recognition for the, uh, the show. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think this is really awesome. Um, and any kind of support that you guys can give us is much appreciated. And especially to, uh, you know, our fellow brothers in arms uh, at the Chelsea uh, fan podcast. So go vote. Yeah, just like that. Do it or else. I'm just kidding. There's no or else. Um, no iTunes reviews in part two. No Patreon reviews in part two. Again, Nick, as the head moderator of our Discord server, maybe you just want to give what? a quick plug of why <laughs> it's so amazing. Uh, yep, head moderator. Um, I have a very uh, laissez-faire reign as head moderator. I let a lot of stuff go in the Discord channel. Um, <laughs> I just I admire from my ivory tower and just and watch peasants like Dan get into arguments. It's it's wow. great. Um, you, sound, you sound more like you're Sauron from the, the top of the tower looking down. All seeing eye. Just don't respond. I don't have to. I'm all the way at the top. <laughs> so, yeah, probably you should jump on there before it you know, actually has someone who pays attention to it, and then it's not as fun. But anyways, uh, jumping in right away to our social media questions, uh, we've got this one, Mark Clement, saying, taking it from the Men in Blazers, Chelsea without Eden Hazard are blank, question mark. Now, Mike, there's no better way to bring you into this podcast than, well, th- this question, actually. Uh, Chelsea are a mid-table team. Whoa. Wow. So do, so what are we with him? Um, Slightly uh, above high, a mid-table higher team. Higher mid-table team. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. yeah. Well, shit. Uh, I, I would say my answer to this question would be we're a 114-year-old football club that will be just fine uh, either wow. way. Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's how I feel about it. Uh, One player is not bigger than the club. Uh, that's see, Chelsea that and Hazard are not thrilling. You could play on there on there the club's theme. <laughs> I, I, I guess here's the real question: what, What's your just to to pin Mike a little bit here? What's your definition of mid table? Like, what what ranking number are we talking mm. about here? Because mid table could be pretty broad on your definition. It could. It could. No, um, I'm thinking a fifth to tenth place team. So maybe so a exactly what we are right now. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. But we'll be much closer to the 10th place, I think. Huh. So your, your real answer should be like bang fucking average, which would be a better kind of scenario because like average would be 10. Mm, um, but haven't we finished 10th with Ed Nazard? We have. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Ed, Ed yeah. Nazard had 
a awful, awful season. That a lot of he was hurt. Yeah, yeah he a lot was of injury. Uh, um, Mogsus was saying on Instagram, Hazard is by far my favorite player, but is sorry ball better without him? Also, if the transfer ban holds up, how much will that hurt our chances of keeping Hazard? I mean, who knows? He maybe pulls an Antoine Griezmann, right? You know, he plays the martyr card and is like, don't worry, I will save you, and then doesn't. So uh, I don't know. Who who knows? I'm more interested, Dan, in the RLC versus Barkley chat. So Nick on Discord says, uh, RLC to start over Kovacic and Barkley, question mark. And then another question, give Christensen more game time over Louise, question mark. Emerson has finally defeated Alonso in terms of starting lineup, question mark. Again, RLC versus loaded. Barkley. A lot. Yeah, a lot, lot of questions there. Right. A lot, lot of Nick, uh, Nick Russian knew he didn't have a lot of time, so he had to get as much in as he could. But let's just stick to RLC versus Barkley right off the gates. Yeah, I think we talked about this in the first episode of the week. But if you join us on Tuesday and are just listening to the first podcast in your feed, you can go back to that one. If you don't want to, um, which I think you should because Jeff Borzello was great on it, uh, Loftus-Cheek 100% should be starting over both Barkley and Kovacic at this point. I know Mike disagrees. I mean, he's been talking in our text thread for weeks about how he's the biggest Barkley fan in the world. Oh, jeez. Um, I thought this was in a bar I, fight. I don't know why. Um, yeah. But Loftus-Cheek, yes, should be starting uh, 100% of the time as long as he is fit to play uh, as close to 90 as possible over both Kovacic and Barkley. So for the next two matches, we'll have the oh. amazing... Ruben. Wow. So he's like uh, Mr. Glass. Yeah. In your mind. Wow. No, not my mind. On the, on the stats page. So the injury report. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that everyone loves the dynamism um, that that Ruben brings. Obviously, you know he's the the card carrying academy graduate that we all know and love and, and want to see succeed. But I think just genuinely, like he's more dynamic. Like I was saying, like he offers more. Uh, especially going forward and especially when you don't have goals or um, a lot of threats out of midfield. I mean, I, I was watching the game with Morgan today and she was even yelling at Kovacic to shoot. Remember when he had it at the top of the box? To be fair, it's on his left foot, whatever you're professionally you make millions every single season. And he just passed <laughs> it out of bounds instead of hitting uh, Hazard in. I mean, you know, they realize that you have a huge opening. Uh, you're at the top of the box. Put your head down and smash your foot through it. And he just, he didn't do it. And you know, Ruben would have, he would actually probably driven it deeper into the box and created a lot of of chaos um, for the Wolves backline. But it just didn't happen today, you know, whatsoever. And I think, Nick, that's probably, in my eyes, the biggest difference is that, that, you know, Ruben has, can do a lot of stuff that Kovacic can do and he can do a lot of stuff that Barkley can do. But those guys are very different. You know, he's that the the venn diagram pie you know overlapping pie charts yeah i I mean it's all about if he has the you know fitness and the stamina to do it right i mean i think i I am i am past the point of thinking that he is not as talented or or doesn't have the right skill set or or whatever i think he absolutely does to play in in a midfield three and to play on the left-hand side of that midfield three. I think his interchange is better. I think his vision is better. He does have a shot on him when, whenever he can, uh, you know, kind of get in a, a good position. And I think it's just fitness and, and his lower back that are probably, you know, the, the two things that are, are stopping him right now. I mean, 
you know, again, I said this in part one, when we were able to interview him in January, he, he said that he was still working on the defensive part of his game, but in a game against Wolves, Mike, where you spend the entire game in the opposing team's half, that, that probably wasn't the biggest concern about today. Uh, the defensive part. Yeah, I, I think I have to say personally, I, you know, this season has been all about missed chances and missed opportunities, and I think uh, unfortunately for Ruben, every time it was his turn to step up, be it you know Europa League or other competitions, he's had these little niggling injuries that have popped up and have like kept him from missing serious time. Um, if there was one thing that I could do, I would love to see him take on that role um, as starting for the Premier League matches and let let Barkley start for, you know, Europa League, you know, switch it up um, and, and you know, give give Ruben a chance to play, um, I think, where we need him more uh, than in Europa. So to me, I, that's what I would love to see. Um, I really, you know, shout out to Nick for asking a question about substitutions without um, including uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi, because I think both of these questions are great. But, yeah, I, I really hope Ruben can finish this this the last eight games strong. Dan? The, the last thing I would point out in this is that when you saw Willie Bully, who was the center back or center half for Wolves, and Ruben was basically able to take the ball into him, like flip, flip around and like push him back off of him to defend the ball and then play it out to hazard. Or I think it was Menwin William on the wing. Like he, he is one of the only players in this side who is both technically astute and physically dominant in a way that we, you know, we have plenty of players who are technical. We have a couple of players who are physical, but we don't have the perfect combination of that player across the pitch in multiple positions. And if you're looking to build a foundation for the future and, you know, particularly thinking about what's going to happen, you know, this summer, what might happen, you know, with FIFA and with the, you know, the CAS and determining if we're going to be able to sign any players like Ruben Loftus-Cheek is a player to build off of for the future uh, because he does, you know, could give you a super technical game, but he can also give you a physical component to the game as well. So Ruben for president. 2020. Got it. Anyways, uh, we're going to go ahead and take a really quick break. Be right back. All right. Next one. Will Saribol work in or adapt to the Premier League? So Claire McConnell hitting us up with that one. Saying, do you even think Saribol could ever work in the Premier League? She after today, has decided that it cannot. Enraged 2587 saying, after swapping Jorginho for William, is Sarri adapting to the Premier League? No, obviously, Mike. I mean, he just said that <laughs> this was a one-off, something they've never done before. Um, but Claire's taking a hard line on this, saying that, you know, Sarri Ball is incompatible with the the, the English game. Uh, I don't agree with that statement. I think what we've seen so far, it shows that it's not, I mean compatible we're in you know what we're in sixth place potentially tied for fifth or fourth after we we play our matchup or our our game in hand um i don't think that the players that we have um are elite enough to make really any system look amazing now you know people will disagree with me but you know outside of 16 17 we kind of have had a lot of the same problems over and over again and i think that you know if you throw a 20-plus goal scorer into the squad or Sari's men are only playing once a week and have a full, you know, have a full week to prepare for every match uh, without any kind of extra football, like, 
uh, the 16, 17 squad in, I think it might make a different impact. But um, I think to me, the issues we have comes to squad depth and we don't have, we don't have enough people to compete with other teams that are fielding two, three, four, five superstars. We're kind of a one man show. So that's, that's my take, Nick. Uh, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure if sorry ball can work in the Premier League or not. Um, you know, I think we've seen flashes of it working, but consistently, no. Um, we needed a different approach today and, and didn't get it. So, you know, I think it's it's really all down to the manager. You know, and it's it's not just about buying a whole new squad. I think it's just about how he approaches each and every opponent. Um, I, you know, that's, that's a, a, a William versus Jorginho swap in the 80th minute of a, a match that was pretty much already lost, um, as, as far as the points go, uh, isn't going to do it. So yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. Do any of you guys think that we've seen sorry ball? Cause I think that's a lot of the discussion too, is that Maurizio is like, no, 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 you don't even. A, it doesn't exist because B, we are not playing my football, what I want from the team. We have seen glimpses of it. We have not seen all and out, all, all and out, sorry ball for a 90 minute stretch of game. Right. Yeah. You know, the, the passing speed, the switch of play, the really quick releases are not something that this team has excelled at. And, I think this is where sorry gets himself into trouble is that there are players on this squad who are capable of playing football at an extremely high level and winning matches. But as it seems that there is a, a level of incompatibility between the two of what he wants his football to be and what some of these players can deliver him and a more pragmatic manager might say, well, I can do most of what I want to do and let me figure out a way to modify some of that so that we can continue to win and be successful and to push forward. And as I either coach players up to be part of that, or we transition players in through, you know, signings or promotions from the Academy that we can kind of complete the picture of what it looks like for me. But, you know, I need to kind of come up with a a short-term approach. And I think that's where a lot of the frustration lies like even Mourinho was saying that he thinks sorry ball can work when he was on BN sports uh, a couple weeks back, but it requires adaptation for the premier league. So it's not that it, it can't be sorry ball as it was at Napoli. It needs to be a sorry ball version for the premier league, which does require adaptation. And I think at that point, um, Brandon, I don't know if he is willing to be as flexible as he needs to be to execute fully on that. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, Definitely not executing fully behind that. I, I would say probably the safe thing. But um, I, I also think that kind of like, if you want to call it Guardiola ball, isn't exactly the same in, in um, the Premier League. Sorry ball probably will have its own potentially in the future adaptation for the Premier League, but it'll still have the same kind of core philosophy behind it. Um, but let's say it doesn't work out. We have the plan B questions coming in. So Janique says, how did everyone feel about that unexpected change in formation late in the game? Is sorry, gasp, realizing the need for an in-game adaptation, question mark? Can't say whether that change was effective or not, but it was certainly interesting to see him actually try to do something different. 
Uh, Big Nash on Discord saying, what is the best plan B to play against a stubborn team who considers or considering the options we have on the bench? And and Nagumar saying, um, how does using the 4-2-3-1 as a formation against lower ranked teams, in parentheses, those who want to hold back and play counter, in parentheses, work for the next few games? Really need those wins. And I was happy to see Hazard set free with William and Cho. How would we fair with a time-tested 4-2-3-1 formation. Uh, you know, Nick, what I'm, what I struggle a little bit with this is that, um, and I think Jeff in the last, in part one was right, saying it wasn't really a formation change. It was kind of throw the kitchen sink at it. I think that's pretty good. Yep. You remember early in the season what our plan B was for stubborn defensive teams? Play Barkley from the start. And now we've gotten to the point where like, screw it, new formation, completely change it for lower table teams. And by the way, Wolves is one place below us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and, and that, you know, I think is is part of the point is that they are not your uh, average uh, Premier League newcomer. I mean, they're very, very good. Um, and, uh, you know, I get, I, I just, I think Nuno Espirito Santo is very good as a manager and just trying to hold what is there. So uh, to tackle to tackle each one of these in succession, uh, Janique, um, I I think this was just kitchen sink. Honestly, I don't think this was super intentional. Although Conte could play in a four one four one or or four one three two, whatever the formation needed to be. I think he's. <laughs> He's been doing it his entire career, so it's probably not a big change-up for him. Um, best plan B? Now, we were talking a little bit before we recorded, Mike, about you know does this team with this the current players that we have need to play with wingbacks or not? And I think that's actually a really interesting uh, proposition, so I'll let you dive into that. Yeah, you know, I think I think what we've seen at times is that we ourselves are, are highly um, – we are highly susceptible to the counter. And I think to me, this is a little bit mind boggling because, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I thought part of the tenets of Sari Ball, especially in Italy, was a very intensive counterattack. And if you're holding, you know, 75% of the possession, you don't really have many opportunities to counter. So it just seems to me that it, it, the possession issue is, is, is a problematic for us at times but going back to the wingbacks you know we were talking about Dave and Alonzo and Emerson and I think that if you I think we would play better if you could put um, Dave next to Louise next to Rudiger which would allow Louise to kind of maraud forward and trying to disrupt and smash things while having depth behind him and then really letting um, the wingbacks you know go up and down. I, I think it's too much to ask either Dave or Alonzo to make the runs that are required um, during a 90-minute match, um, really probably without substitution against people that are, there is some crazy pace that they have to face. So the chance that one or two balls will go up over the top and get behind them, that really is asking a tremendous amount of a defender. And I think that if we had a way to figure out how to protect our back four a little bit, um, be able to overlap in the offensive third a little bit better and have some real width and keep teams from being super compact in their final third, I think it might address some of the issues that we're seeing. Um, Again, I think it's just, I think we're in a tough position because 
as Dan and I think as we all have seen, we all have players who are capable of putting out, you know, standout performances on on pretty much any team that they might play on. Um, the problem is, is that I don't think as a team we've gelled, and and I think everyone is either slightly out of position or they're not comfortable or or it's not playing upon a strength that they really have. And while it could potentially work, I feel what we're seeing is that we're kind of you know, average across the board and average is not good enough to, um, you know, get the extra goal or two that we need to be putting ourselves in that, in the top four conversation. With the transfer ban looming, Mike, uh, how many players do we need to sign this summer to not be bang average? Trick well, question. We, <laughs> zero. Yeah. We're not signing any. Right? <laughs> um, the, the one thing I do want to say, so just to, to counter some of that really quickly, so if you think about the fact that we have only allowed 31 goals over 29 games and 10 of them came in two completely awful and aberrant games, uh, for the most part, our defense has actually done a really good job at limiting uh, shots and preventing actual like true opportunities. So while I I do agree that I am not like super happy with the level of our defense and how they contribute from like an attacking perspective, because I think there is an element to that. David Luiz obviously is the, probably the the lone exception from doing better on offense than he does on defense, you know, with his way of kind of contributing from a, a forward passing perspective. Um, you know, we also have the second most clean sheets in the Premier league. So, I mean, like we, we have not been terrible. And even in this match against wolves, like really it was one true counterattack that, got us off, you know, got us into a position of, of true danger. So I don't know if I agree 100% that like we are super susceptible to counters. I think we've been super susceptible to like just gaps in attentiveness. Like they're, you know, it, maybe it's the way that the system demands that they, you know, all these players are kind of having to be engaged and where they are positionally. And that maybe that draws them out in the wrong way, but I would lend it more to, individual mistakes have contributed more to the goals that we've given up than being caught like across the board, like in a counterattack situation. Well, if if I could just quickly respond to that, you know, I think I would agree with you. The defense hasn't been horrible or terrible. The problem I think of what we're seeing is that if, if we've conceded 31 goals, then we're looking at an average of a goal a game. Um, Our, I don't think we're scoring enough goals to put us, to give us, the difference of what we need because right now we're talking about a you know a bundled ball that got deflected you know Dave almost blocked it went into the goal regardless right if we were scoring the goals that we needed to score everyone wouldn't be pointing fingers at the the defense saying well you 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 f this one up again because you know you conceded a bad goal if we were doing what our opponents were doing and scoring two three goals a game I think. If, if you if you looked at our average scores or goals and you added in a goal or two more, even five or ten more goals, we're in a completely different position in the table than than where we are I mean, now. Sure. But I mean, like, you know, it's not well, like no, but, by like a magnitude no, no, but, of like two or three. I mean, you look at the fact that Spurs have 57 like they are the, you know, out in the top five. They are the lowest goal scorers like in total. And they've conceded 32 goals and they didn't have a six goal loss and a four goal loss to city and Bournemouth to contend with. Well, but they have one, so like, they have I one mean, draw. Like, so we're talking about they either win or they lose. So they're playing a, you know, the difference of what they're doing is they're, they're maximizing their points uh, in every single match with the exception of one. We are very much, you know, we have 
six draws. That's a ton of drop points there. Yeah, and but I, I, I that comes down to like you know eighteen shots against you know that have hit the woodwork. Um, you know, again, leading the league in number of big chances missed. Like it's you know I, I think looking at it, the defense is not necessarily the major issue. Like it really goes back to like closing down the attack. Like the last you know thirty you know yards or whatever is where we lack an ability to convert appropriately. Um, which I think probably puts additional pressure on the defense to know, like, if, if we're not scoring, like, we can't let one in um, and have done a pretty good job at it. I mean, I think I would look more to where the, you know, where do we, uh, you know, adjust the attack a little bit to make a larger difference in this regard? One goal should be enough, right, Jose? One goal should be enough. Uh, more damning, though, Mike, the problem is I think this is the second time all season Chelsea have came back from a losing position to earn any points. Um, so while, look, is if we scored more goals and we conceded less, I mean, they're two levers, right? If you do better on either one, obviously, guys, we're going to get more points. Um, but unfortunately, it's just been a bit of a point of contention, I think, a, li- a bit. Uh, Nick, you still there? Just pulse check? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, good. Yep, All right. Just, just listening, tuning in. Good, 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 good. Uh, because, well, Bucci got a question for you. What do you guys make of the unbelievably quick decision from FIFA to shrug off our appeal? Just kicked it to the curb, just crumpled it up and said, <laughs> no, thank you. Well, it uh, seems very ham-handed. Um, so we'll see kind of how that um how that works. Um, we, we have one source that we really trust on this stuff. And, and that is one Jake Cohen. So the legal uh, Eagle, the legal Eagle. So I'm going, I'm going to read his just summary, not to, you know, he, he actually goes quite in depth on this in his, uh, on his Twitter feed. So I'd encourage you to go follow him at Jake F Cohen. Um, if you'd like to, to dive deeper, but summary, uh, FIFA arbitration breaks precedent, denies Chelsea's request to temporarily lift transfer ban. Chelsea can't make same request to court of arbitration of sport until um, those proceedings are completed. Previous similar cases have taken um, six to eight and a half months. International transfer transfer window opens in um, less than four months. So uh, it's, it's not looking good. Uh, to say the least, um, this is uh, so the appeals committee is is really who who made this decision, right? So, um, following all of the cases that Jake mentions in his in his thread, Barcelona granted uh, their uh, the stay of their um, punishment until court of arbitration of sport did their thing. Uh, Real Madrid granted, Atletico Madrid Madrid granted, Chelsea denied. So in my mind, Dan, there are two things that are going into this decision. One, they have Chelsea dead to rights on some of this stuff, and uh, you know are are completely just like, hey, look, we're we're not even gonna let up on you guys because the case is so clear cut that you don't even have a chance, or. There's some, you know, um, tomfoolery happening at the uh, at the appeals committee level. Uh, either way, it hurts us, and it hurts us in a big way. Yeah, I mean, this is you know hashtag darkest timeline. It just uh, you know keep keeps getting darker. Oof, it is uh, you know the lights is uh, light is keeps on getting turned off. Um, 
you know, the one thing Jake does point out in his uh, kind of tweet thread there is that he hopes that in light of the FIFA Appeals Committee taking the extraordinary step of breaking established precedent by not granting Chelsea's request, the club's preferred hearing date uh, is agreed, plus a full decision is issued in a much shorter time frame. Because until that happens, we cannot go to the um, Court of Arbitration of Sport to get the stay while they review the case, which would ultimately then lead to potentially an overturning or a reduction in the ban. Um because we're not in a good spot, you know. I mean, I think you know Chelsea is clearly going to be lining up to acquire new players, to you know sell players, and you know while we would still be able to sell, while we would still potentially be able to uh, loan players out to other teams, uh, we would not be able to register new players uh, as a member of Chelsea, and that would be very devastating. Obviously, players like Christian Pulisic, who we signed in January, are already registered as a Chelsea player and on loan, so you know coming back would not be an issue. Uh, we have plenty of very, very talented loan players uh, who are doing very well. Uh, you know, Fiaco Tomori, um, Reese James, players that could come in and potentially, uh, you know, Mason Mount, uh, vie for opportunities on our team as we would not be able to sign players like Mateo Kovacic. Um, actually, it might be a blessing in disguise, um, at least for that one scenario. And then obviously the big question about En Hazard, and if he does leave, you really don't have a massive way to replace him. And uh, you're probably going to, you know, keep Callum hudson Adoy for uh, for quite some time. And yeah, it's just, it is the worst possible decision. And I think the, the big challenge is, is, you know, if we, if we are truly guilty, we should be comfortable with the fact and accept the fact that we should be judged accordingly and should have to, you know, serve the time if we did the crime. And it sucks. It always sucks to see someone else not be held to the same standard. Um, you know, but what I would say is like these rules, you know, you know, particularly the Article 19 um, are meant to ensure that young players um, who could be taken advantage of, who could be brought into situations where they are uh, solely only used for football purposes, uh, then you know, sold on other teams and have not had the appropriate infrastructure or care put in place to make sure that they are developing uh, not only as a footballer, but as a person, um, you know, it, it's important. And I think that kind of gets lost in some of this, well, Mike, because we want to be like, yeah, or, or Nick, but we want to be like, you know, it sucks that the La Liga giants get treated a little differently than we do. But I mean, if it means that at the end of the day, like that everybody is going to be judged the same way appropriately moving forward, like Man City with the massive investigation that they're going to be undergoing, um, then I'm all for that part of no, it. Come on, they're oh, not. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, they're not going to be like, that's the problem with this is it's very easy to look at the cases that Jake has laid out and been like, Oh, okay. So there's a precedent here and I'm no lawyer, but precedent is typically the way that uh, you would handle like situations, right? So if Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid and Barcelona were all charged with the same violation of article 19 and they were granted stays of uh, sentencing or whatever until they're, um, until their appeals process went all the way through, all the way up to the Court of Arbitration of Sport, which famously has reduced all but one of their sentences, then Chelsea should be treated with the same uh, with the same process because they've already established a precedent, Mike. Like that is the yeah. way that 
it works. I don't understand how this is any it's different. It's not a court. That's why. It's corrupt as shit. It's FIFA. Exactly. They get to do whatever yeah. they want, which is ridiculous. Yeah. It, how much money do you want, FIFA? What's What's the payoff? You know what I mean? So, Dan, I hear you. I would love the idea that the sport has you know transparency and people play by the rules. But we know... There's uh, money involved. Look, Never going to happen. Yeah. I mean... Look at what FIFA did with the chairman of PSG. They're under investigation. And, you know, to somehow like if we're talking about, you know, financial fair play, that is financial doping. You are cheating using money to win. And if they don't care about that, then who cares about if a younger kid has been tapped up or whatever, you know, whatever is going on. Um, I, I agree. This is this is a bunch of bullshit, in my opinion. And I think that if you are going to hold teams to a certain standard, then it needs to apply all the way across the board. And for, for FIFA to rule the way they have, this tells me and shows us that there is a definitive, you know, grudge or campaign or whatever you want to call it against our club and we will pay dearly for for what fifa is doing um and it's it's unfortunate because we're not the only ones who've been guilty of this yep you're right but here comes the transfer ban so this will be fun um love this one coming right back at at you mike so uh no time to prepare real quick nick on Discord says, Louise and Rudy are not the perfect couple, question mark. Uh-oh. What do you think, Mike? You are the resident central defender. You know what? I would say that uh, much like perfect couples, um, your relationship is ruined by children, and that would be our midfield. And <laughs> oh, midfielders no. who choose not to track back or help out in defense, um, I don't care how good of a pairing you are. Uh, when you let, um, you know, we have let people overrun the box constantly. I, I, I think, unfortunately, you know, it's our jobs to sit here and discuss things. But to me, I don't. Wait, wait, wait. This is a job. <laughs> well, whatever we want to call it. It's for fun. It's our passion. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that, Dan. We'll, we'll pay you in uh, pats on the back. Um, no, look, I think that the problem that we have as a whole this season is that no matter how you flip it, dice it, substitute, or whatever, I don't think that there's enough of a change with personnel to really write the ship in the areas that we need it done. So I think Christensen's a great center back. I think Louise is great. I think Rudiger, but I still think we have some huge flaws that are going to keep anyone from being hitting an elite level because they're going to be let down by certain circumstances. So I'm just not I, for I mean, blaming players. Go ahead. I, I think Rudiger has been particularly suspect recently. Yeah. And, I, and I know that like it's it's easy because Louise has this reputation of being suspect at times that like I think it's easy for someone to to see a play break down like like it did for the goal and be like ah fucking Louise again yeah. going you know and, and look, they're not wrong in that instance but I think Rudiger's been very shaky at the back and not only just in his defensive you know, responsibilities in, in the run of play, but also on set pieces, I think distributing the ball, like it's not been good all around for him. And, you know, when we watched Dan, when we watched the uh, Europa league uh, in midweek, Christensen brings a little bit of stability back there, um, which I know will warm the cockles of your heart. Uh, as <laughs> the, the resident 
uh, Christensen's uh, fanboy. Danish but, Prince, <laughs> concierge. Yeah, yeah Danish yeah. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, seriously, I think there is, like, they all approach the game differently, which makes it hard <laughs> to form solidity in the back. Yeah. Yeah. I I think if I were looking at it and I know that, you know, we've had Joe tweets on the show before and he's talked about how Chelsea kind of look at it as Rudiger plus one or sorry, looks at it as Rudiger plus one. So one other player slots in next to them. Um, you know, I don't necessarily know that it should be Rudiger right now. Um, you know, I think if I'm looking for someone who's going to play the right type of conservative game who, you know, doesn't necessarily need to, like, rely upon the, you know, again, the physical kind of aspect of it, but really is, you know, a little more technical. Yeah, that's what Christensen brings to the table. And, you know, there's been times where he's been a little more passive earlier in the season, but I think he's kind of really come out of his shell again and is putting in some very, very positive performances, moving the ball well. Um, really taking on some larger defender, you know, larger attackers and, you know, kind of marshalling them the right way uh, has made some really just, you know, well, well-timed tackles and his ability to read the game is exceptional. And, you know, I think you want to think about, you know, if, you know, David Luiz, you know, goes in, you know, one to two years, you know, how are you helping progress, you know, a, a Christensen into being, you know, one of your top choice center backs. And, you know, obviously I know there's a lot of shout and a lot of love for, you know, Ethan Ampadu as well. Um, you know, Fioko Tomori is out there. Uh, Clark Salter is having an exceptional season for uh, Vitesse. Um, I mean, so there's, there's plenty of talent in Chelsea's stable when it comes to, um, you know, center back options. And, you know, I just, I think Christensen, you know, above all else is the best choice we have right now. Can I can I jump on what Nick said? Nick, you're you're 100 percent right. Um, and and we were discussing the defense earlier and only conceding 31 goals. We've conceded 16 goals in the last eight Premier League matches. That is insane, and and it's why we are where we are right now. And I would agree that we have some issues, but let's be honest. I think that if we are looking at Christensen and and Without looking at it from an age perspective and saying, like, obviously he is the heir apparent just because Louise is getting old. Like, he has had some decent matches in the Europa League. But again, I think our problem is is that we're talking about, you know, earlier Giroud or Hudson-Odoi or Christensen all playing better in the, you know, in other competitions that are not the Premier League. And I think that it's really hard to try and judge that level of competition as to opposed to what they would be facing um, and what we would really what we need that position for is against top six talent against you know United and Liverpool upcoming and, and and so I think that you know I would love to see us go to a back three because it gives Christensen more of a chance to play and I think it's a little bit more sheltered but um, when we're talking about Clark Salter, like that, he's not an op- He's not. He's not at Vitesse because he has ever has an opportunity to play in our back as our center back for us. Like he's undersized. I, I mean, that's just kind of he's there because it's part of the academy. But um, I don't know. It's disappointing uh, because I, it's it, it was a strength, right? And now it's it's really been a weakness for us and has dropped massive points. I, I will say, you know, on. Uh, Jake Clark Salter's behalf, uh, he was one of the players that uh, John Terry did say that he thought uh, he could replace him in the uh, 
central position of our defense at some point. I think so JT just, you know. no JT says that about every young player who's he's ever asked about. Does he? Yeah, I think does he pretty he? much does. I, we, uh, it's called. I bet you we could bed, find a whole. Smart. Yeah. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, can't I mean, be wrong. You know that, that way. powerhouse that is Vitesse. I mean, if you could play well at Vitesse, I mean that means that Miazga is right up. Uh, you know, he ready didn't on. play that well. Well, you know. All right, so now we have some from social media and text messages. Uh, so at Tofa at Tofa Wayne says, "When will our fans start taking Europa League seriously?" To which Dan replied on our Twitter account. As in the importance of the competition or the fact that not qualifying for top four means we may be stuck there another season. And he says, getting back to the Champions League, winning at United and Liverpool is going to be tough. So Tofa, our boy Topher, is thinking that the best way to Euro- or the Champions League next season is going to be through winning the Europa League. Nick, is that, the, is that where you're at as far as our uh, best chances to qualify? Uh, uh, I don't I don't know. I, I'm I'm so down on our Premier League chances right now that it might be, but you know, it's once we get through Kiev, who are basically a pub team, it, you know, the competition ratchets up pretty significantly. I mean, um, you know, you have your Napoli's in there, and and so on and Sevilla so forth. Sevilla I mean, is up there. Yeah, Arsenal not looking won- so great. <laughs> Arsenal lost to Ren. Ugh. Um, yeah, like, I mean, Sevilla's won the competition twice, I believe. Um, Napoli are not a um, a pub side. Like, I I have a hard time, Dan, placing my faith in a knockout competition as the best way to qualify, but it might just be. It, it, it's funny because when you look at some of the, the what you would define as, like, big matches this season, um, you know, with the, the League Cup, final with the match recently against Tottenham and there is a little bit of that that flash you know the 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 Chelsea of old that's kind of been bottled up occasionally that gets uncorked for those moments and I guess you're wondering if you make the quarters you make the semis you make the finals so it's two four five more games that you would have to win to um win the final right and I guess in that regard, if you think that we could just hold out through five games against, you know, pretty good to very good opposition, um, if you get a good draw, you know, you might be in a position where you maybe get, if your Ren gets advanced, you get to play them. Probably not the case because uh, we will play Napoli at some point during this competition, I assure you. Like, that is just <laughs> the way it's going to, how it's going to work. That's UEFA at its finest, right there. Yeah. Um, Probably in the, I would say, like in a semi-final match. Uh, and then somehow we get to play Arsenal in the final and beat them uh, if they were to get through. Um, I, I don't know what it will be, but it's going to be some wonky draw. You, you would, I would rather take care of it through the Premier League, but with the the way that the results tend to fluctuate, um, you know, hedging our... You have to hedge your bet, Mike, and you have to go at both of these as avenues to get back in the champions league like it's i don't care what fucking way we do it it just has to be done yeah i mean i I, i'm taking a little bit more pessimistic of an approach because let's be honest if we can't beat wolves at home um if we can't have won some of the key matches that we've lost what what says that we're gonna beat napoli over two rounds or or any of the other you know tougher competition we face and you know to me 
Well, the, away the, goal rules. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah. They, the, that that change like the the way European teams play versus the way Premier League teams play. When Wolves know if they get a point from that game, that that puts them closer to qualifying for a Europa, Europa, Europa League spot. Um, are you Europa League qualifier? Um, you know, some of these lower table teams, they're going to play defensively to the point that if they get a point and it keeps them out of relegation, like they're going to be okay to turtle. You know, these are going to be you know two you know two game ties where away goals matter and it's going to force the other team to play and i actually think we are probably better suited to play versus some of these teams than we are to play against some of the premier league sides right now as crazy as that sounds so so here's who's left in the competition here's who's left who will likely advance i will say to the next round valencia napoli chelsea uh villarreal is up 3-1 on zenit I'm assuming Arsenal can get a couple of goals at home to go through, uh, even though they're down 3-1. Sevilla is tied, but they have the next, or they're on the road for the next match, so maybe. Benfica and Inter. <laughs> Those are not slouch clubs that are going to be in the in the mix, likely, for, for the next round. And there could be some upsets in there, Mike, but, I mean, it, I don't know, like, would you would you rather hedge your bets on our remaining Premier League schedule with a couple of hard matches at United at Liverpool, uh, assuming we can handle our business against the rest of the teams, which is a big fucking assumption? <laughs> yeah. Or do you want to go through that gauntlet? I, you know, we have to do both. I mean, to, we don't have any either option because there's no guarantees that we're going to win. You know, we could get to the final and the way that the soccer gods have treated us this year it would be one more kick in the balls and a spit in the face because, you know, after what we saw in the Carabao Cup final, we did everything that we needed to do to win that match. And you have a ball that hits the post and bounces out, a ball that should have been saved by a keeper. You know, it it just it just doesn't feel like this is our year. It feels like there is really this huge force against us. So the idea that we're going to just advance five games and win it all, it seems to me is a bit of a I don't I almost feel like it's more uh improbable than trying to take care of business and letting some of the other you know Arsenal and Spurs drop points like I would I would almost rather fight the Premier League out than try and hope for a Europa League I like Nick's point about the knockout competition it is just finicky it is very unsure um and if this next question happens uh, I will probably lose my mind. Mahan dot uh, Paul BBK say if we drop points against Cardiff, will we have to prioritize? I'm just gonna stop there. If we drop points against Cardiff, like we've lost the plot completely. Game yeah. blouses. Absolutely, we're yeah. done. Yeah. Call it call yeah. it a day. Uh, Take away our shoestrings. I, I just want to throw this last one in. That's from Eric on text. He says uh, he had a question about the fact that we had no height today. You know, if you take Alonzo out, um, if you take well, I guess if you don't have Ruben in the midfield, it, we essentially have a, a pretty small lineup for the most part. Um, you know, we obviously have a very small midfield. I mean, we got the ball wide, and there was no options for crosses because you had no one really to challenge, especially with, you know, Wolves' three huge center backs. Um, Jose was a disciple of having, what do you have, four, five, I think five tall players? On the pitch at every single time to you know counterattack other teams, Marizzo seems to not really be too worried about that. I don't know if anyone else thinks that's had, an issue. We had, we had thirteen corners today, 
And of the 947 possible set set piece plays that we can run, uh, none of them are effective. And in fact, Eden was pretty bad taking corners today. I think we should all call that out. Like it's it's a pretty pathetic effort. And you would have thought that over the course of the year that we would have a pretty decent chance of converting some of these set piece chances because we've had you know, a lot of corners and we've had a lot of possession and a lot of free kicks and a lot of that stuff. And, you know, frankly, it's just not happened. Um, and at what point is it insanity, Dan, if you keep trying the same thing over and over without a different result? Wait, you're saying you don't want a set piece to hit the first man that the ball comes across? Correct, Dan. That that would be better. <laughs> they than ran that. short corners yeah. with some success. Man, my, my, my club wouldn't even. That's, uh, you know, it's, just, it's, it's, it's something we just do. So, yes, we need height or something. Got it. All right, cool. Um, well, as you all probably know by now, our next match is going to be against Dynamo Kiev in the Europa League um, away at their national sports complex. And it's going to be this coming Thursday. So if you're all of you Americans out there, get your mid-afternoon, early afternoon appointments scheduled. Uh, I, again, a shout out. I know I just said Eric on text. He's going. So his sister lives there. He is going to be going to the match. I told him, send me some photos so we can put some stuff on social media for uh, for him, kind of get some stuff out there. Should be a blast. Um, talk about a hell of a, hey, I'm just going to go to Kiev in two weeks and watch Champions League match. Or, well, not that, oh. actually. Uh, <laughs> Europa League match. But it should still be oh. fun for you, Eric. So really, really Dreaming. exciting. Dreaming, Brandon. Um, all right, Dan, walk me through what we should expect uh, going into Kiev this Thursday. Yeah, a couple, couple insights. So 90% of sides to score at least three goals on the first leg of a Europa League knockout tie have progressed to the next round. 73 out of Can't wait to break that stat. Sides. Yeah, you know, it's a, it has been a record-breaking year in a lot of different ways. Uh, hopefully this is one we do not uh, break. Uh, Dynamo Kiev have progressed from their last two Europa League knockout ties in which they've lost the first leg away from home, both during the 2014-15 campaign, knocking out Guggenkamp and Everton in the last, last 32 and last 16, Guggen-Gomp. respectively. Guggenkamp. <laughs> Dan, Dan's pronunciations oh. are the absolute best. They are delightful. Say it one more time for us, Dan. <laughs> Wing Gong. Uh, Mike's a fucker. Uh, and Everton in the last 32 and 16. Um, Dynamo Kiev will also host Chelsea in a European encounter for the first time since October 2015 when they drew a nil nil in the Champions League group stage match. I wasn't um, that far off. It was just four years you, ago. You were not. You you know, just took a time machine back to a, a better time. Um, Upside still in the Europa League this season, uh, only Frankfurt 6 are no longer a beaten run away from home in the competition than Chelsea, uh, which is four wins and one draw. And then of his nine Europa League appearances this season, Chelsea forward William has either scored or assisted at least one goal in seven different matches, three goals and five assists. So uh, no surprise that William did not start this match versus Wolves when he is most likely going to start along with Giroud in the Europa League competition this Thursday. Yeah. Well, I mean, it always comes down to lineup, Nick, but look, you got three, nothing. You did the business at home. The first leg, anything other than a straightforward, you know, path on to the next round is going to cause nothing but concern. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this would be a match that I would play Kovacic in the, in the Regista role. I would bring Ruben and Barkley out. Um, I would play Hudson. I'd play Christensen, 
probably play fucking Zappa Costa. I mean, like the, with all of the other shenanigans that are happening, especially after um, the Wolves result, we need players who are going to be in peak physical condition to whoop up on Cardiff. Um, and, you know, the other thing that we have to look at, as we stated at the end of part one, is gold diff in the Premier League. Like, we need to start whooping teams to have a chance to to claw that back. Um, so uh, this this is a game that should be well in hand, Mike. I would hope and pray that we could uh, have a little bit of squad rotation without sacrificing the, uh, um, you know, kind of the the – tie yeah i we need to focus early um and get a an early goal um to really kind of take away any fight that kiev has um but i agree we need to we need to wrap up business so that we can just kick the living crap out of cardiff and really try and jump start the um the last i guess what nine matches in the premier league um i'm i'm optimistic uh, of this match uh, but um, I think it's going to be a really bumpy ride. Um, so it's going to be an interesting spring. Dan? Uh, yeah, that, that is a, a very, very mild way of putting it, Mike. <laughs> yeah. uh, typically, we're used to a, a hotter take from you, and uh, you have put it on a, a low setting, um, a low tumble drive from you. Very odd. Don't know how to handle that. My, mildly boring, actually. <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that's going to wrap us up for part two. Uh, again, listeners, a huge thank you for sticking with us in this one. This episode is you know, built around all of you. So thank you for getting involved as always with it. Um, yeah, Thursday, next match, and then obviously at the weekend, Everton. So uh, look, just games coming in thick and fast. Uh, you know, I almost couldn't imagine if we were still in the FA Cup what we'd have to deal with. But I sure as hell would uh, would take it, and we could, we could run with it. But again, Kiev, midweek. Uh, should be a good one. So, Eric, safe travels to the rest of you staying at your homes. Enjoy it. It should be a good performance. Hopefully, like Nick said, we get a, a safe amount of squad rotation for that one, and we can just take care of the business and get back to the fight for top four in the Premier League. But that's going to wrap it up this week again. Until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.